In this episode, we pick up directly where we left off, discussing Abolition of Man with Dr. Pinkowski, elaborating upon the Tao as a shared moral heritage which connects reason, passion, and sentiments to reality. And we delve into the implications of shaping society outside of the Tao or the way. So we witness this in Mao's cultural revolution as well as the embrace of materialism in the West. And there we consider as well the propensity of those who leverage the power of the state outside the Tao to make man in man's own image. And not just our heritage in the sense that we all came up with it together and it tells us something collectively about ourselves, but that it's our, you alluded to this, it's our collective intuitions about the world, right? I mean, precisely. About like our, 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 we all know that our reason, well, most people know that our reason connects us to reality. Most yeah. of us know that our passions connect us to reality. We're hungry, so there must be food. But we don't always recognize that our sentiments might connect mm-hmm. us to reality too. Yeah. And uh, what I get from Lewis is that actually, in fact, it does. Like our, our intuitions about aesthetics and things like that tell us something about the real world external to ourselves in a similar way to how both our rational and uh, what you call instinctual <laughs> tendencies also tell us something about the world. So. Uh, yeah, precisely. And that's how we, and that's, again, comes back to the task of the educator, right? We could use, you know, lofty uh, or significant moral examples for that. But it's also, I think, just if we think more intuitively about, say, how you are educated to become a good cook, right? Uh, someone teaches you that's too much salt. It tastes off. Something's off with the recipe, right? Uh, this is this is the right amount of salt that you need. Or these are the kinds of spices that add these particular flavors. And you look for those sorts of flavors, right? So you're training uh, you're training your chest at that stage, right? right? Um, and a good educator does that a fortiori, right? Um, in in more significant um, aesthetic and moral judgments. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the part of the idea there is not, so what, what you might get if you have an abolition of man mentality is that what educators do is they teach you what to like and what not to like. But it might be more precise to say that we're already by nature oriented to recognize uh, goodness and beauty and truth. And what education does is it, well, as the name implies, it, it draws that out. Like it right. forms that natural yeah. talent that's already there. Um, for example, um, someone might instinctively recognize that a tree is beautiful, but not recognize why the Iliad is beautiful. Right. And they have the yeah. capacity to. It's actually the same. They both come from the chest. But once uh, it's been presented, or the Divine Comedy or something, once it's been presented and explained, uh, and like Virgil, you guided the pilgrim through that, that that forms that natural, you're not instilling it as some kind of external thing that you're putting into the student, but in fact, you're drawing out what is naturally there and educating and forming it like the the chef, uh, introducing new recipes, but again, not to to brainwash, uh, but to draw out uh, an instinct that's already there. Now, if you don't believe there's anything that's naturally good or bad, then all education becomes telling students what to think, or in some ways, right. uh, yep. or telling them how to think, which is actually a form of telling students what to think. Uh, <laughs> and that opens the door then for, if, if you already think all education is a kind of brainwashing, then what's the harm in brainwashing? <laughs> right. It's more of the same. Yeah, it's yeah. in a different direction. Although, like you mentioned, um, any value that people have is derived from the Tao, ultimately. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if we could come back to that a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, what you're just saying there uh, kind of reminds us of um, Socrates, the midwife, right? Who's who's Ooh, bringing yes, birth to to stuff that you already know. Again, that's more perhaps the the noose, the intellect, uh, where Lewis is also pointing out the the heart, right? This important 
component as well, right? So if we're going to yeah. place that in an area of primacy. But nonetheless, um, so the DAO is, so this is, uh, you mentioned internal mechanism. Uh, it, I, I almost um, always want to think of it as an objective transcendent um, positive entity beyond the human uh, interiority. Like, so I guess the connection, trying to think, I mean, Really, it's in mere Christianity. I think that he he's going to run with this and and point you in that direction. Like, what is that internal thing where you think, oh, someone took my seat on the underground? Oh, he that's gets, wrong for a reason. He gives quite a good uh, example here, which is he says, ironically, for the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't like the company of small children, and I know there's something wrong with that. Right. right yeah. Now, it's not really reason that's telling him that. Right. It's not really his belly that's telling him that either. Right. There's some other like sentiment that's telling that's saying there's something off about the fact that I don't enjoy the company of small children. Right. There's some, okay. there's some aesthetic appreciation that I should be having and that I'm not. And that's a deficiency in me, not in the Tao and not in the small children. Right. Okay. Well, I guess another way of asking the question then. So that deficiency that you recognize you experience that internally, but it comes from the Tao, right? So I guess another way of asking is like, what is the Tao then? So what exactly is it? Um, so uh, what, 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 what are educators educating into, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I mean, he does leave it quite open-ended in how this could be um, uh, construed and so on. Like I think almost of um, maybe too too modern of a sense would be like the Jungian uh, collective unconscious, right? So this is something that's built in us, whether it's by biology or or maybe some transcendent source. But it's just we have the same dreams, the same ideas because it's collectively within our human realm. So that in that sense, it is somewhat subjective, uh, but we share it because we share human nature. Or is it something rather that is above and beyond? just you and I and our collective past uh, that um, that it exists that that is communicating to, to us through the uh, the thumos right well I have That's a theory one. but I want to know what Dr okay yeah, yeah yeah so well look I think it's in this in this context Lewis is is keeping open all those possibilities I had right. a third one an anthropological one this is sort of where the, where the appendix points we could look at various human societies and notice similarities in terms of the way that they uh, that they articulate certain moral principles. And it seems like certain subjects uh, keep coming up. Certain kinds of actions are, are known to be, or uh, named as impermissible actions. So we can have a kind of anthropological, uh, you know, empirical observation, the kind of things that gets Kantians in a riff, but you know, uh, there, there are different ways to proceed to understand ethics. But um, you can you can proceed by getting the grasp of that. And Lewis's point here is is not uh, I'm going to provide you with the 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 justification for this. I'm going to provide you with the ontological source of this. Um, uh, it's rather to note that there is this shared um, the shared inheritance that is that has been passed along that exists in a number of different places, and that's all I have to get you to commit to to understand the problem that we see from the green book uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and and the problem and also the revolution that is implied by taking the the attitude in the green book uh, mm -hmm. further uh, another you know unstated premise this is an augustinian one uh it's one that is nicely brought out in uh in introduction to christianity joseph ratzinger's book about what one of the presuppositions of christianity are receiving precedes making 
that yeah. my fundamental state as a human being is to uh, is to be in a world where I respond to what is already there. And if I deny that, and you know, our uh, our um, dare I say our enemies in the Schmittian sense, right, who write the Green Book, are denying that, um, then um, then there are, there are actually two ways we can develop that. I hope we get to that in the third one. So if, if we don't, ha uh, remind me, and we'll bring that up. How it's a full articulation of of the enemy. The real there's a there's a there's a human enemy, and then there's a, the real enemy comes up in the third part, but okay, close the brackets off and let's uh, let's bring it back to the to this um, Augustinian uh, uh, point that Ratzinger brings up, receiving precedes making. If I didn't, if I negate that, if I negate that and follow the logic of that negation through, then I am putting myself in a position that is wholly outside what the Tao is, what Tao is, uh, and implicitly, and Lewis thinks some people do make it explicit, making the claim that I can create everything for myself. I can make the world for me. So very similar to the uh, temptation of Eden. In some yeah. Sense, yeah. The, the, that's offered. Um, I wonder what you think of this, Dr. Pinkowski and Dr. McClarney. And I'm the only non-doctor here, so I'll defer to both of you. Both you're, you're, almost, teachers, you're almost so a, a doc God, doctor. Yeah. I think there are two reasons why Lewis uses the word, at least two reasons, one of which is really interesting and ironic, given that this is written in 1943, um, why he uses the term Tao. Right. right. Okay. And yeah. one of them is <clears throat> that it's very similar in uh, in Taoism, and the term is in Confucianism too, but there's multiple Taos. We all have these ways we're supposed to act in society and towards each other, and especially towards our superiors. Um, Taoism goes behind all of that, right? And says there's a kind of Tao that's fundamental to the universe itself. And the word Tao means way, mm. right? It's a path on which you walk. Now, I think the reason why Lewis chooses that is, is a couple of reasons. One is to say that this cultural heritage is not to say this is the way we all do things. It's actually a way, a lot. it's a path you're supposed to walk. It's something that's pre-made. It's something you're supposed to literally follow. And, and, and Lewis is implicitly saying, it's not me saying that, it's everyone saying that. That's what we recognize it as being, is a path that we follow along. But also, it, the, the Tao is very, very close to what the Stoics would have called the Logos, to the point where lots of Chinese translations of the Bible translate the first, uh, the prologue of John, uh, the word Logos is translated as Tao. Okay? So now Lewis could have said Logos, and he alludes to natural law. But by virtue of pointing to this Chinese concept, mm -hmm. um, he's he's really stressing. I mean, I, I, probably for apologetic purposes, he doesn't want this to be seen as a Christian apologetic work, right? Why he claims he's not making an indirect argument for Christianity, whether whether or not he is. But by stressing that this is a, a concept that goes into Taoism and Confucianism and well beyond anything that most of his listeners have thought about, yeah. he's saying, no, no, this really is universal. This really is human. And what's really intriguing is that it's not too many years later that this all plays out in China. Okay. Right. Because that's what happens with the cultural revolution. Right. This uh, is what happens with Mao. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, his Marxism or his communism, right? Yeah. His own version of it, of course, is rooted in, of course, what Ricoeur would call the hermeneutics of suspicion, which I was trying to refer to earlier, right? That's that's criticism without without the Tao to anchor you. Right. right. So you can deconstruct everything and view everything as a manifestation of economic and political oppression, right? But then you wipe all that out and you start from scratch. Yeah. What 
Mao attempted to do, right? Yeah. And therefore, if we can define human nature by the way we order society and order our political and economic system, uh, well, then we can basically create the new man, right. which is what ensues in China afterwards. And what's really intriguing, and I say this as someone who lived in China for four years, is how it, that hasn't exactly been reversed. But mm. obviously in the 90s, there was the reversal of the economic policy. Yeah. And since then, there has been a qualified recovery of the culture. Hmm. Right. Um, the the institutions that, that China sets up all over the world to build goodwill are oh. the Confucius institutions. Confucius institutions right? That's right, and yeah. I mean, when I was on tour in Beijing, my tour guide um, didn't disown Mao, but she said she's like, oh, we all agree Mao went too far. Right. Like he was responding to abuses, mm -hmm. but, you know, he, he was he was a bit crazy. And now and, and they're very happy to celebrate uh, the Temple of Heaven. And all you know, and and to kind of recover that. So it's it's like a beach ball that's been pressed under the water, right? And it pops back out or something like that, right? So this abolition of man, this abolition of objective meaning, and attempt to build everything from scratch plays out in China. It's that's why it's so intriguing. It's it's dare I say prophetic that Lewis uses this Chinese concept when what he's talking about is going to play out pretty closely in China itself, right? Where the whole cultural heritage will be scrapped, which means the anthropological heritage is scrapped. And that leads to, the, you know, the biggest dystopian experiment of the 20th century, apart from the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, or North Korea. North right? Korea. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, that's not as big. That's not nearly as oh, big as the I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the body count should never be forgotten that 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 the Cultural Revolution is the scene of the, the most human deaths, period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, right? And, and I mean, Lewis doesn't even, I mean, he... Again, it may seem like a stretch to go from a, a textbook on English to uh, the mass human extinction that took place in China, but I mean, it's so interesting that that does seem to be exactly what played out. The the lot the the um what you call the forgetfulness of the Tao, right in China resulted in as you said dystopia, you know, from which they haven't fully recovered. So yeah, yeah absolutely, and that that mm -hmm. uh, well historical materialism, right, mm -hmm. which which uh, was the the guiding force behind that I, I mean i think you're talking about uh, there's some recovery and so forth but i mean just from my limited uh, exposure i think it's it's still a full effect and in, in, in that you know you have these incentives for social um rewards and and you know what what schools your kids can go to and and, and where your place is going to be in society so i think the technology or the technate right mm -hmm. uh, is there uh and still in full swing for for manipulating mm -hmm. society or really uh, ab abolishing it mm -hmm. uh, in mankind in that sense that lewis is talking about where the uh, well maybe we can get into it but it's nature absorbs man right so uh, it seems like she's about to surrender uh, and <laughs> her arms come out and, and draws in and we become uh, absorbed into it. so what what actually is taking place um, is it the the uh, is is it a recovery or is it a furthering? Uh, are we going further down the road hmm. of the erasure of what it means to be uh, one of us? Well, this goes to the fact that every value comes from the Tao, right? So, for example, here uh, this is what you hear a lot of criticism about art, right? Classical art is that it's sort of aristocratic or something, right? Uh, these are the most beautiful, ambitious works of art. There's kind of an elitism to them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 there's and by virtue of that, there's a kind of oppression to them. Oh, and, and yeah. Kind of you know, and and you can see this in modern art, the kind of rejection of that or an attempted rejection of that, which yeah. creates a new elitism in itself. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. Only the elites can understand. Well, what I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, five sure. paragraphs. Uh, <laughs> um, but of academic uh, speech in order to understand what's well, going on. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Only because yeah, only I can yeah. 
academia creates its own elitism, but the, the idea that we ought to be concerned for those who are oppressed and marginalized and excluded is one that comes from the depth, right? It's, a, it's something that we have an intuitive pull towards, right? Um, not just, you know, not just a purely intellectual one. Uh, again, the intellect is often what leads to elitism and not necessarily a gut reaction because sometimes our gut reacts badly against uh, the oppressed. I think a lot of us have had that experience you know, when we see people who are uh, homeless or something like that, right? It's actually our instinct, it's our, it's our moral sentiment that tells us, no, if someone's been uh, informed ultimately, you know, we'd say by Christianity and all that, but that's the instinct that tells us, no, no, the, the fact that people are oppressed and excluded is a problem that ought to be fixed. But then scrapping yeah. the whole uh, infrastructure of the Tao, right? right? Because yes. it's, because it, it, it's inherited down from the system that had problems in it. Yeah. Uh, it is, as Lewis will say elsewhere, it's, it's like sawing off the branch from the tree that you're sitting on. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and in fact, uh, just to pick on one point that you said, it was implicit in the background of your discussion about China. Um, yeah. A lot hinges on on uh, on what kind of political orientation you take up here. So one of the passages that comes up, I just was looking for it now, uh, in that hideous strength, uh, which is a novel for those who haven't read it, uh, the the protagonist of the novel is named Mark, and he's pulled into this uh, into this group in this little English uh, college town called Nice N I C E. Um, sounds nice, doesn't it, right? Uh, but in fact, um, we see something very sinister as part of this project. It looks like um, it's just a, a group dedicated towards um, the expansion of scientific knowledge and inquiry. You know, it's a progressive institution in that sense. But what Lewis realized, or sorry, what Mark realizes as he um, as he figures out more about this organization, um, is that the most important things that it has within it isn't its size of research grants or fancy new scientific equi equipment, but quoting here, it would have its own legal staff and its own police. The real thing is that this time, says the proponent here, we're going to get science applied to social problems and backed by the whole force of the state. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what yeah. gets uh, his recruiter uh, excited. He says, this is the main thing at the main question at the moment, whose side one's on, obscurantism or order? It does really look as if we now have the power to dig ourselves in as a species for a pretty staggering period to take control of our own destiny. If science is ready, is really given a free hand, it can now take over the human race and recondition it, make man a really efficient animal. Man has got to take charge of man, that means remember that some men have got to take charge of the rest. I mean, that that is the the um, not just the political side of it, right? That is the implications of the kind of of uh, of materialist revolution that took place, um, you know, in in China in the nineteen sixties and in the West in the sixties and ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and th that kind of of attitude and. Uh, we have to see that that behind it isn't just it's not just the, some kind of um, uh, you know abuse of power or vague language like that. It's actually a particular uh, transformation in the way we think the goals of of learning are to take control and to to reeducate to take for man to take control of man. Right. Which which uh, I'm mean, lose draw this out, but uh, it's a usurping of the human story by a few by an elite right. right so it's those who do get to uh, make up the laws and, and 
enforce with the chief police and, and or, or enforce the power. Th those are the ones who belong to the Borio and they're the ones who get to control the levers and then therefore dictate how everything else is going to play out uh, for us uh, in um, in the final analysis. But mm. well, and, and and this goes to the point that you, I think a totalitarian society has to make a choice about. Because what I what I mean about China is that eventually they realized that if we want to stay ahead, we can't just be economically ahead. You know, like when they uh, liberalized their economy in a qualified way, um, but we need to be culturally ahead. So there have been a lot of yeah. uh, classics programs actually in China, yeah. uh, which are really intriguing, including the study of uh, of Carl Schmitt, who I've, I've not forgotten to ask you about our enemies, <laughs> our many enemies, but. Um, but of course, the point there is that they want to keep it uh, under control. It's not for the sake of being opened up to the eternal truths that are conveyed in these uh, right. classics. I ought to show. I ought to bring you. I bought some copies actually. I, I, my copy of Utopia is from. I have a copy of 1984 that I bought in China. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the problem is for them. Can you contain that? Uh, right. Malcolm Muggeridge talked about that. How he knew people in uh, from Soviet Russia who had never seen a Bible but were converted from reading Dostoevsky. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. As opposed to a 1984, where they go whole hog and are like yeah. censoring poetry because any allusion to God, which is interesting from an atheist like Orwell, yeah. uh, potentially opens up that door, right? Like, um, so they, they're trying to go for a full erasure of the Tao uh, with all the catastrophe that that involves. Somewhere like China and I guess Russia, because Russia ultimately wanted to assert its own sovereignty. So you don't want to get rid of Dostoevsky. That's that's yeah. the best argument for Russian su cultural supremacy there is is keeping yeah. a great writer like Dostoevsky. But yeah. uh, but what that means is you have to smuggle in his Christianity by right. accident, right? right? And I think this is also re related to uh, well modern education, right? Where like can you even read someone like Dante or Shakespeare without getting a glimmering of the Tao and uh, and ultimately right. of Christ uh, in some way?